Do you manage your own IT for distributed teams in Asia? And you know how painful it is. Esavel helps your in-house team by taking cumbersome tasks off their hands and giving them the tools to manage IT effectively. Get help across eight countries in Asia Pacific from on and offboarding, procuring devices to real-time IT support and device management. With our state-of-the-art platform, gain full control of all your IT infrastructure in one place. Our team of IT support pros are keen to help you grow. So check out esevel.com and get a demo today. Use our referral code ASIA for three months free. Terms and conditions apply. Yeah, and maybe one thing I can add is the awakening, the shaking up, the shaping up of the rest of the global auto industry from the Chinese. It's in full swing. The Chinese are coming. And if the Western automakers have not prepared, they're going to have a much tougher moment from when they confronted the, the Japanese or the Koreans. The mm. Japanese and Koreans, they're very successful, let's say in the U.S., but this is a whole different issue, the geopolitical aspect, but, you know, that they're coming. Welcome to Analyze Asia, the premier podcast dedicated to dissecting the pulse of business technology and media in Asia. I'm Bernard Leung, and there are two major players in the global EV market, Tesla and BYD. Will China crush the EV market like it did with the solar panels in the past decade? To help me with that question today, I have... Lacing, co-host and founder of China EVs and more, founder of AutoSync, and former chief editor, China Auto Review. Alei, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Yes, and definitely this is a topic that a lot of my audience have been asking me to talk about. I'm trying to find out more. And of course, I need to thank Rayma from TechBus China as she put us together and we made this interview happen. So, of course, to start off, we have an earlier conversation and I thought you have a very interesting backstory. So, my first question to all my first-time guests is, how did you start your career? Yeah, that's actually the, the, the first question that we would ask our guests as well. So, now oh. it's my turn <laughs> to talk about my background a little bit. So, I came to the U.S. at the age of not quite 13, so I started in... Um, eighth grade in the U.S. and I went to, you know, high school and college here, and that was because my dad, who is very important person as far as my career is concerned, he came over uh, in the U.S. to study in the mid '80s. So I came over with uh, my mother to join him, and I started, you know, eighth grade, high school, college. Um. And during high school, this was in the mid-90s, okay? So you can guess mm. how old I am. <laughs> <laughs> My dad had attended, he was teaching in New York City, a private school, history. He has a PhD in history. And mm. he was teaching in New York City. And there was this conference by the, I think it was the U.S.-China Automotive Council, and he went to this conference and suddenly gave him an idea that the Chinese auto industry is going to take off. And this is in the mid-90s. Okay, mm. so in the mid-90s, you know, a lot of these prominent players, these foreign suppliers, they've been only in China for 30 years. So right about 30 years ago at this time. And he thought about starting a newsletter that he thought that people would want to know what's happening on the ground in China. And this is an English newsletter catered to the Western audience who wanted to know about what's happening in China. And so he started his newsletter and he did everything by himself. I was in high school. I helped him. He wrote everything. Uh, he... Uh, edited and use, you know, like Adobe PageMaker. Like nobody mm. used that to do editing. To, to, to put this newsletter together, print it out, mail it. I was sleeping. I remember sleeping in the living room because my parents, my sister, we were staying together in an apartment when he started this. 
So I started helping him when I was in high school. Simple thing as mailing these newsletters out and starting there, getting to know a little bit more about the Chinese auto industry. And from there on, I, I kept helping on the side part-time. And when I graduated from college, I went to UMass, I studied mechanical engineering. Mm. <laughs> so it's somewhat related to, to automotive. But when I graduated, I think this was 2000, so right before China joined WTO. And that was on the cusp of another takeoff mm. of all the companies going into China to set up joint ventures to sell vehicles. So upon graduation, I went back to China to be on the ground to help my dad on the China Auto Review. And the rest is history, right? 20 years I've been in Beijing. We had newsletters. We published a magazine. This was the only English magazine monthly tabloid on the Chinese auto market. And we did this for from 2006 up until right before the middle of, I guess, August 2020, because of the pandemic, you know, I, my parents and my sister, they're still here. Mm. I was in China. So we used to visit them during Chinese New Year. This is usually in yes. January 2020. You know what happened. Mm. We got stuck. So I think our mission at China Auto Review was completed because you know how the media landscape has changed. Now we have this podcast platform where people on uh, uh, YouTube, TikTok, whatever, uh, different ways of transmitting and getting your knowledge across. So I started doing my own gig. I still write freelance in both Chinese and English to my audience. Mm-hmm. I do a little bit of consulting work. And this my own podcast started in the September of 2020. That was when Beijing Auto Show. I was on a panel with my, my current co-host, Tuli, at an AmCham Shanghai Automotive Conference. Mm-hmm. And both of us presented. And then after that, we talked and you know figured, yeah, I, I should be continuing my kind of the mission of telling the Western audience about the China's auto market mm. through my, my experience, 20 years on the ground, looking at the industry. So we started the podcast in February 2021, so right about three years ago now. And it's been, you know, through that, on the side, I've been able to, you know, now that the, the pandemic's mm. behind us, I've been starting to travel a little bit more. So last year was the first year of going back to China in three years and three months. So I went to Shanghai Auto Show. I spent two months in Beijing with family. So I got to really experience the EV ecosystem. And it was a shock because right, only it seems a couple of years, three years, two to three years, how China had kind of... And now, right, we're talking about Tesla. Elon saying, I know you had a question on, on his mm. comments. We'll talk about it. That Chinese mm. question or demolishing most mm. of the other car companies without tariffs, right? Um, it seems only a short time for Elon to change from laughing at BYD to saying that... Taking uh, it seriously uh, now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think this journey, I kind of had a front seat view mm. of, you know, it wasn't overnight success. I think we'll get to that question later sure, because I think sure. we want to talk about the landscape. But I also started adding your podcast to my listening feed. So you're the co-host of China EVs and more and you have such an inspirational story from your dad to how you end up covering the automotive market, now EVs. What do you usually cover on the podcast? I have listened to some of the episodes, so I would rather you telling us. Yeah, it's a weekly recap of the big headlines of last week. We do this on Friday, so... We talk about everything that caught our attention. So this past week, you know, obviously Tesla, again, they're almost in the news every week, right? Cyber, Cybertruck is in, in China. Why are they in China? Um, they just, we, we'll talk about more about it, but recently mm. more on what's happening. You know, any company that's along the value chain, whether it's the OEMs, the tier ones, chip companies, AVs, uh, battery um, you know, CATL setting up a joint venture with DD on battery swapping. That's we'll right. About that. so we try to dissect these headlines 
and you know tell our audience you know why these things are happening mm. just one yeah. yeah so just one question before we get into the main subject of the day so you have a pretty interesting career journey from US back to China covering on the ground the automotive market what are the lessons you have learned that you can share with my audience well i think the the lessons is first really interacting with these different companies chinese or foreign how their processes are different how their mm. culture is different you have to be able to be on the ground and go to these companies headquarters factories interact with the these executives i think so i'm very thankful i've had that experience and talking to them really not only the executives but the people who work let's say um i often attend these kind of the tech shows so people who are mid level engineers they will share a lot more like tech technology wise you will learn learn a lot from them um so i think understanding the culture and for me kind of being uh, i'm a chinese american so mm. I feel like I'm I'm really half and half and I I can switch easily between the 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 Chinese culture and the the, the uh, American culture. I think um not everyone is able to do that. So I'm very thankful that that I've been immersed in these two different cultures. Mm. So we're going to get to the main subject of the day which is we are talking about the China EVs and also the battles for supremacy between BYD and Tesla. Can you talk about can you provide a comprehensive overview of the global EV market and the total market opportunity yeah. and specifically for China how much of the EV market does the Chinese car makers have in this global landscape? Well, if you know if we look at from a 30,000 foot level um light vehicle sales globally is about 80 million a year and China does about China last year did 30 million but that's including shipment to overseas right mm. so 30 out of 80 you do your math mm. and then out of that 30 if we look at the the NAVs that are shipped right so last year was 9.5 million from a percentage wise i think it's if we look at the three big regions right so China Europe in North America China is by far last year was like a third of vehicles were in EVs Europe a little bit less maybe a little bit less than 20% I think US last year was not quite 10% close to 10% mm. uh but right you do your math that basically mm. 50% of let's say the NEVs are from China right the shipped from China that's basically the current kind of landscape but it's If we talk about the Chinese EVs um there's st we're starting to see that kind of the globalization of them being launched in so many more countries yeah. than just two or three years ago BYD MG Tesla right Tesla is another example of exporting from China and treating China as a export base which is becoming a trend among the foreign companies utilizing china as an export base you don't hear more about you know like nissan mm. right nissan is insisting mm. they're going to export from china these type of things renault one of their cheapest evs sold in europe is made in china the dacia spring right these kind of things are happening mm. so it's also interesting because like for example i live in southeast asia in singapore for every one tesla yeah. i see at least three byds on That's, the street because yeah. the local taxi service is now all running on byds so it's you know, actually a very interesting take to even like just the way you say it, even though it's three eighths of it but the feeling i'm getting even within my geographic region is i feel that there's more byds than the other companies yeah so in, in china similarly to southeast asia which you just described the BYDs in the ride hailing market before it was a lot of Corollas, Levens, like mm. the regular hybrids that were very popular on the ride hailing platform. Now it's all of these BYDs, IONs that from a cost perspective have really overtaken the Japanese and not yet in in Southeast Asia but you're seeing that trend, right? Which is just mm. described. 
Yeah, yeah I, I also recall a stat that recently the this last quarter BYD actually produced more cars than Suzuki in Japan. That means all their cars, including yeah. the diesel petrol cars as well. Yeah, and they launched three models at once in, in Indonesia, right? That's and right. The plan, I think, in Indonesia and Thailand, right? So mm. you're seeing that happening. So. Mm. I want to get into a little bit more understanding about the China EV makers. I think a lot of people in the West, so far, the only company they know is BYD. I know the acronym of Build Your Dream, <laughs> according to the founder. So can you share the background for some of the key manufacturers in China? I know BYD is one of the top. Then there is NIO. I know Xiaomi recently has launched a car, an EV car, sure. the Xiaopeng sure. teacher, which is Xiaopeng. Sure. Models, which is well known, and any others which I have myself missed. Well, yeah. So at the top of the show, you mentioned BYD, Tesla, but there's this third bucket of let's just put everybody else in that third bucket mm. purely from a, a volume perspective, right? BYD, Tesla, and then everybody else is right on the heels of both Tesla and BYD, but there's no not yet one single challenger that is yet close to the volumes of BYD and Tesla. And these number in the hundreds, right? So it's going to take me all day to, <laughs> to really, if you wanted to talk each one of them, but I guess mm. the representative ones uh, we can begin with is really the, the China's big three U.S. listed companies, Right, so the Neo, Xpeng, and Li Auto—they're known as the Wei Xiaoli, right? They're considered the top three kind of the Xin Shuli, the China smart EV startups, because mm -hmm. they're the the originals, right? They they, they started all, right. all three of them roughly ten years ago, uh, mm -hmm. and each one has their own positioning and brand wise. So Neo, when you talk about Neo. We think of battery swapping. When we talked about Xpeng, we think of XNGP. We think of their autonomous driving capabilities. When we think about Li Auto, we think about mm. family. We think about SUVs. We think about ERAS. We think okay. about their focus. But all three of their founders have the tech background or That's internet right. background, right? Ben uh, of Neo used to be the founder of BitAuto, which is a listed company, China uh, Vertical Portal. Li Xiang was the founder of AutoHome, which is another U.S. listed uh, vertical portal in China. And He Xiaopeng of Xpeng, he used to be the chairman of the UC Web. That's right. You know, and one funny story, the, the UC Web, the original, I think, Yu Yongfu, mm. he was one of the nine people that were the first Tesla Model S owners exactly 10 years ago. <laughs> and the other one of those nine was Li Xiang. So two I of see. these companies, the founders, they owned a Model S before they founded their own smart EV startup. So it's really interesting to to look back on the history and how things came together. But I mean, I think I think the three. So, but yeah. yeah, BYD is the largest, right? And the founder is a chemical engineer, if I yeah. remember yeah. correct. And he yeah. comes from a very different background as compared to all the tech founders of the other three. He's yeah, he's the engineer. He's kind of the tech guy. And, and I, I always say BYD is not just the last two or three years. It's 20 years in, in the making. It's 30 years in the making, right? They started out in 95 as a battery supplier, supplying uh, smartphones or, or Nokia, let's say. And they have that battery foundation expertise and now they're expanding brand-wise, model-wise. They're catching up on, on some of the other stuff we'll talk about. Mm. Um, but BYD, I mean... It's been around for a while, but I think people are only starting to pay attention. Of course, everybody knows that because Berkshire Hathaway in the US have invested sure. in them. And Charlie Munger calls the founder of BYD, Jack Welch meets Thomas Edison in one yeah. person. 
yeah, yeah. As such, I, I I think yeah. I think one one interesting thing is how do you access say the competitive dynamics between the Chinese EV makers like BYD versus Tesla, and then in what areas where these Chinese EV manufacturers hold edge over Tesla and vice versa. I think you talk about well, the three groups, yeah. right? The Tesla, yeah. BYD, and the rest. Well, what I often say is that why the Chinese have gotten to where they are, several T's. So affordability, quality, availability, which I think people don't often think about, is during the pandemic, the chip shortage, right? The production stoppage. Hmm. China found ways to make these cars. So the availability, not only in China, but elsewhere in the world, I think was really important, a driver, a force behind the rise over the last two years. And then agility, really the speed. We talk about China's speed and nowhere, you know, in the smart EV space, that's more prevalent. So how fast they iterate their models, vehicles, how fast they launch multiple models within a short period of time. This, I think, the foreign legacies, they really can't compete on, is, is the speed. And also, if we talk about Tesla, BYD, and some of the other Chinese EV companies, really, Tesla, what it's worth, I think, granted, that we have to give Tesla credit because they've been able to stay strong with really only two products. And really in China, it's really one product, which is the Model Y, because Model 3 are, are more, I think, shipped outside of China. And so the, they have these brands, they have different. Tesla has a huge aura for that brand. And the recent Cybertruck tour in China is a proof of that, right? Of all the craziness uh, in, in the <laughs> eight cities, that this brand pull is really still strong. But uh, I think for the other ones, is really covering all different positions, segments of the EV market, from the small micro vehicles to so the one million, maybe $150,000. Yeah, I think they're becoming more competent in trying to be this premium, launch these premium brands because now they're a little bit more tech prowess there's a lot of innovations, tech, new tech that's starting to appear on these vehicles. So this relentlessness is really not only pushing the foreign legacies, but really it's almost becoming a benchmark for these mm. foreign legacies to catch up. And that's why you see their work starting to work with Chinese companies, Volkswagen, Xbox, right? Probably we'll see here more, you know, so. I mean, Tesla also had their own manufacturing in China as well. And I think they are, so yeah. the number two is now from China. He was brought over by Elon Musk to come and say that because the Chinese is setting the standard of like the agility and the speed of manufacturing that's happening yeah, in I'll, China. I think we also have to give credit to maybe policies. Tesla was the first one to have 100% owned manufacturing, foreign-owned manufacturing. It's, it's a sign of, of China opening up. And also, there's a saying in, in mm. China that in a pool of sardines, you bring in a catfish. And Tesla is that catfish that kind of invigorated not only the, the EVs in China, but also building the local supply chain in the Shanghai Yangtze River Delta region. Mm. So, you know, we, we have to give credit where it's due, but now I think we're in the midst of a prolonged price war. And I think it's going to drive some brands out. It's going to continue until these brands are driven out. Mm. The ones are not able to compete you know, financially, right? You have to make mm. money. BYD, right? If you look at their Q4 versus Q numbers financially, it actually, I think that the margins actually fell, right? Because they offer, even BYD has to offer discounts. And you know how cutthroat the competition is when you're even a leader, right? That's right. So what was the one thing you know about the Chinese EV manufacturers that very I, few do then? Because you talk about I, the cutthroat competition. I don't know if there's one thing that... It's 
I don't know if there's one thing that I know <laughs> that others uh, don't know. It, it's really difficult to, to answer that question. Um, I, I, I just want to point out is, I think unless you are in China, and which I was lucky enough to be there for two months, and stay there, drive these different vehicles, test out the charging infrastructure, test out how connectivity works, how the ADAS works. It's very difficult for Western people to comprehend what is happening on the ground. And no matter how I describe it or mm. how good or bad, unless you're there, you're driving these vehicles for a few days, for weeks, you wouldn't understand that affordability, quality, uh, agility that I talked about. So mm. um, I don't really know one thing that others don't, but the comprehension part of it is I think people still don't understand how crazy the competitive spirit is. Mm. I can understand what you're saying because when I was growing up in the 1980s, so everyone can guess my age, the Americans also couldn't comprehend how the Japanese beat them in the automotive market. Then, then only once people went into Japan and look at the Toyota lean manufacturing way and then they start bringing it over back to the US and then people start to understand. I think what you said about on the ground, I think that's very important. And, yeah, and maybe one thing I can add is the awakening, the shaking up, the shaping up of the rest of the global auto industry from the Chinese, it's in full swing. The Chinese are coming. And if the Western automakers are not prepared, they're going to have a much tougher moment from when they confronted the, the Japanese or the Koreans. The mm. Japanese and Koreans, they're very quite successful, let's say in the U.S., but this is a whole different issue, the geopolitical aspect, but, you know, that they're coming. So I th then the question then is because the Chinese EV manufacturers need to go into the global market. So I guess the thing is what kind of strategies that they think about and how do they address, say, challenges in, say, technology production and even market penetration? Given for automotive, there's a lot of rules, regulations before sure. you can even enter into a market as such. Rules, regulations, and protectionism. So mm. these are all the ones that they have to confirm. But I talked about the availability. So these vehicles, the Chinese EVs, are going into multiple markets, exporting into multiple markets. And you're seeing the BYDs setting up plants. I think Indonesia would be like their sixth global plant already. So Thailand, Indonesia, they, have, they probably have uh, they have one in Hungary. They have they're building one in Brazil. I think initially it's the building the brand, right? We talk about mm. Neo. I think to this day, when they launched in twenty twenty one in as in in Norway, uh, the volume haven't been significant, but it's building out the brand, building out their charging ecosystem, battery swap network, and it, it's not easy because you have these established the European brands, which are strong in the consumer mind. And at the same time, you have to face these, the EU Commission probe, um, anti-subsidy measures. France closing off the subsidies for China, some of the China EVs. But from an affordability perspective, they probably can eat, eat up that cost and still be competitive. I think that's the reality. But it's also going into these different markets. The consumers are different. Let's say the European 27 markets. Mm. The, the the different markets, you have to work at different partners, uh, different regula regulations, different consumer habits. Even weather could be an issue, right? Like Norway, areas in Norway versus mm. in Spain and some of the Southern Europe is totally different. And these things, they have a team, BYD has a team, Xbox has a team, Neo has a team. I think at this point, it's still building the brand awareness rather than saying that they're taking over Europe. I think we're still a little bit far away from that. And at the same time, you're seeing the legacies trying to strike back, claw back with their own strategies and tactics.
So it's not going to be smooth, say, but um, we're seeing this kind of the competitive dynamics heating up, mm. say, in the rest of so, the world. Which, which comes to that question that I started the conversation with, right? There's been a lot of chatter in the market talking about the Chinese EV car makers actually rinsing and repeating the strategy in what they did in the solar panels market to beat out the competitors. The question then becomes probably there might be some misconception. I think you understand this space so far better than most people. Is that strategy of possible in the automotive in industry, given that there's so many stakeholders in the market. I mean, there's the European car companies, the Japanese and the Korean car companies. Yep. We also have the US car companies as well. Sure. sure. Yeah. So you talk about this protection. Um, the, the, there's no free market, right? That's right. <laughs> that would be a utopia. And even that probably would don't work. So I think you have these vested interests hmm. of on the Chinese side, but at the same time on the European side. So for example, at the same time that Europe is launching this probe on the Chinese companies and possibly raising tariffs, same in the US. In fact, they probably will raise the tariffs if Trump gets elected, right? We, we've been hearing rumors. At the same time, these European automakers, they have their vested interests in China because their largest markets are in China and they have local operations. So this is going to be a, really a, a balancing act. If Europe does too much on China, then what type of retaliation are we going to see geopolitically wise? So this is going to affect all players, not only the Chinese, but the European automakers. And they probably don't want the repercussions to be too much from this kind of the, the trade war, if you will. So yeah, it's going to be a balance. So one question I do have and doing the research for this episode, I understand that BYD has operations in the US. How are they performing in the US market given that there's so, so much trade war tariffs that's thrown onto them? So BYD has been in the US, I think they set up their headquarters in 2010 or 2011. That's so right. So it's, it's been quite some time, but there's two things going on. One is they're already producing, so electric buses in California. So they have local kind of the, the local employees, American, you know, jobs, right? So this is very mm -hmm. important. At the same time, they are preparing. So they just brought over, maybe this is something, one thing I know about the Chinese CV <laughs> tell now that, People may not know this. They recently brought over some Yangwang U8s into the U.S. for local testing. And this is not surprising because they already have their Han, Tang, a couple of, I think a few Song. And I've even driven the Han and the Tang in the U.S. Mm. There's a the car models, is it? It's the yeah, BYD yeah, car model. Yeah, BYD car models. Mm. They're EVs. Han is a sedan and Tan is like a Lexus RX sized SUV, right? Yeah. So they've been here doing some local testing, maybe even showing them to potential investors in dealerships. Mm -hmm. uh, so behind the scenes, they're preparing. They're looking for the right moment to make an announcement. So I think it's just a matter of time and whether you... Yeah. Bring it over from China to the U.S. directly or Mexico, right? Mexico is a springboard kind of the for the U.S. market. And you're going to see a lot of actions there from multiple Chinese brands. The Cherries, Great Walls, mm -hmm. BYDs, using Mexico as a, a base to go into the U.S., which will irk the kind of the U.S.-Mexico the NAFTA kind of a relationship uh, because China now is is so much a, a seem to be like a threat, right? When we talk about China uh, from the politicians. So there's going to be a lot of scrutiny and uh, there's going to be a lot of movements strategically, tactically. And I think sooner or later, we'll see some kind of announcement of either directly, and this is not only BYD, but other brands, Neo, right? Neo also either directly importing from China, they'll eat 
the tariffs currently 27.5% or using Mexico as the free trade produced in Mexico, but exported in the US, North America. Yeah. Mm. I, I, th- I think it will follow a very similar trajectory like the Japanese cars because they were also having the same difficulty penetrating into the US market at that point in time. But I want to come back into a different part of the conversation comparing Tesla and BYD. Recently, Elon Musk commented about the competitiveness yep. of the Chinese yep. car makers, but he also made a point that Tesla is also a robotics and AI company. My question first is, does yeah. BYD have its own car operating system, its own AI or self-driving car division, or maybe they're working with another Chinese tech giant, Huawei or Baidu, to enhance its tech competitiveness against Tesla? Yeah, so when you talk about BYD, what, what do you think of? You think of batteries, right? You think yep. of LLP batteries. Because that's right. it started out as a battery company. So if we talk about robotics AI company, the, the vertical integration of that part, uh, maybe uh, the autonomous driving uh, operating system, BYD is, I think, slightly behind others on that front. So that's why you're seeing the kind of collaboration, let's say BYD working with DJI. Oh, DJI, right? DJI yeah. is a drone company, but that's they're right. becoming a force in the driver assistance, the level two plus NOA driver assistance features, they're starting to appear on um, different models, EV models in, in China. Mm. And BYD's recently held an event showing their kind of the R&D prowess and they're catching up on the, the autonomous driving aspect of it. Um, mm. So yeah, I, I would say Tesla would probably, I mean, they'll claim or they'll, you know, mm. brag about AI, you know, uh, yeah. Dojo, humanoid robots. That's uh, right. Optimus. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, Optimus. And, and if we look at Elon himself, right, he's a person of multiple, he's the CEO or the chairman of multiple startups, right? Not only Tesla, along the entire kind of the mobility transport space whereas BYDs but at the same time I think BYD their this globalization of BYD is that you see that tsunami more so than Tesla multiple different models hitting different markets yeah so mm, okay but then how about the new Xiaomi Xiaopeng where the founders have technology backgrounds then then that their car OS, they can actually maybe at least have some fight over like the AI, the robotics piece that Elon Musk was talking about. Well, even these smart EV startups, right? Um, mm. They often talk about this full stack. Yeah, um, so, <laughs> there's a software term. Yeah, the Chinese right? which mm. means the full stack, but it's very superficial. Nobody does that. Even Tesla, mm. right? Tesla depends on CATL and, and BYD mm. and battery cells, right? <laughs> Although they're trying to ramp up 4680, but, and the Neos and Xpeng's and, and the Xiaomi's, right? All, more often than not, when you look at their press conference, they'll show a slide of the ecosystem partners, the tier ones, the Bosch's, the Conti's, the ZF's, you know, these companies that are helping them with specific technology, which I think part of their competition is advantages often having these technologies first appear anywhere else in the world, appear on their models first before anybody else. That's where the competition is. Let's say the drive-by-wire, steer-by-wire. Mm. It's first starting to appear on the Chinese EV models rather than also the world, mm-hmm. these advanced levels of ADAS. Um, mm-hmm. So I think being in that tech background, I think is more sensitive for these founders to know, especially the case of Li Xiang, right? He's from mm-hmm. Autohome. So he That's knows right. his customers. He knows what their customers want and how fast they respond, they respond to their customer needs and iterate and come out with these features that's the China speed that the foreigners need to catch up with that they, mm. they can't compete on, right? 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, everybody talks about Tesla, at least I think they always think about the US market, but I think nobody actually talks about them in within the Chinese market itself, right? Or even the other markets. I guess, how would Tesla adapting their strategies in response to the growing presence of all these Chinese EV makers that are actually not just being in their local markets, but also now starting to having a little bit of skirmishes in the global markets itself. I mean, I can say for Southeast Asia, I'm seeing a Tesla versus BYD cars going around all the different roads. And I'm really starting to see the competition in pricing is going to be very crucial on that. So using this recent um, Cybertruck tour, not recent, this ongoing Cybertruck tour, and I myself recently got to see the Cybertruck in mm. in Miami. Yeah. And the the craziness about Tesla, the crowd, the kind of the halo effect, is probably a hundred times, a thousand times more in China doing this current Cybertruck tour than than the US. So that brand aura is still there. That pulling the interest of consumers, uh, Elon, right? That this mm. personality and the such a differentiated product. I think there's I don't know if even BYD can compete on that aspect of it. But at the same time, I think Tesla for some time to come, their tactic would continue be, to be price movements. Lacking the models, let's say the Model 2 or the Model Q, that all of these other Chinese companies, the, 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 the big bucket, are pushing out these new models that are more affordable and more features. So at the same time, Tesla is using China as an export base. And if we look at the recent 10K, I think just a couple of days published by Tesla, they talked about the CapEx mm. being 10 billion this year, right, in 2024. And in that 10K, I don't know whether you've seen it. In that 10K, I think Shanghai was mentioned like a couple of dozen times uh, of what they're trying to do. I think I think Tesla at this stage, like they said, right, they're, they're at, at uh, Valley of Growth. There's an element of patience maybe. When Tesla launches that Model 2 next year, can that compete in China? Will that have a halo effect like the Cybertruck? I think this is something that uh, I'm sure BYD is watching closely. All the Chinese companies are watching closely because not only affordability-wise, but really this new manufacturing system that Tesla talks about cost-wise is something that that I think will be interesting. Is it going to be too late? Is it going to be another Model 3 moment? It's, it's interesting you mentioned this. If you think about automotive history, right? I mean, let me go back a few, like yeah. a few decades ago sure. when the Ford and the GM, right? When Ford is a few car models and then GM produced that whole series of different configuration colors and then there versus composition. And then you fast forward to the Japanese versus the US and European car makers, and then you see the Toyotas and the and the Nissan creating different models. It feels like the same thing is happening, but now in a very different context. But now the yeah. market is China and US in one bucket. This global market fight that's going on between Tesla and the EVs. It feels like the story is happening, but very differently from the way you describe what Tesla is now doing in the Chinese market. Yeah, yeah. North America is the last frontier. For the Chinese. And that's the dynamic. I talked about Europe and China. So between US and China, that kind of the vested interest is, in fact, no one other than Tesla. The other US automakers, they're dialing back. Ford is different strategy in China. GM, their sales last year in China was less than in the U.S. for the first time since 2009. So different dynamics, different geopolitical confrontations that will shape the type of tactics that are being deployed. Mm. You know? Okay. 
I'm going to switch gears to innovations in EVs because I, you cover everything, including innovation. Yeah. You just come up fresh from CES 2024. What what's the yeah. most groundbreaking stuff that's going on? I, should... I mean, you went you went to the whole exhibition and see cars, right? So tell me. <laughs> so I, I I just gave a presentation last night to AmCham Shanghai. It's an event that I I do for the second consecutive year. It's really talk about my experience at CES and. There's a lot of takeaways. I think the big takeaway I, I put at the very beginning is the word respect. See, I'm not even talking about the technologies, what were technologies shown, but respect meaning the talent, Chinese talent, that are now becoming crucial for both Chinese companies and the foreign companies. Mercedes being one example. The guy from Xpeng, who is now the head of automotive at NVIDIA, he's Chinese, right? Mm. How important these Chinese talent, not only these founders behind the driver of the change, but how they're becoming he kind of the interfaces between the Chinese companies and the Western companies, tech companies. The globalization aspect of Quite a few of these Chinese companies that if you didn't know they're Chinese, how they presented their branding at their booths, you wouldn't know that they're Chinese. And that's how good they were. And the innovations of these tier one suppliers, what they showed at CES, some of the products are completely developed in China because China is at the forefront of when you talk about the smart EVs and what the consumers want inside the cockpit, mm. the innovations are coming out of China. And that's why you're seeing these affecting the rest of the world. And one, another example is the, the voice-based generative AI, large language model, chat GPT, the voice interaction. Mm. If you look at what Mercedes and BMW and Volkswagen showed it's okay, there were still a lot of bugs, but compare that to what's happening with already many of the smart EVs, mm -hmm. how voice interaction works in the car. I mean, China is way ahead of that aspect of human-machine interface. Mm -hmm. Displays, what type of display technologies, something of a reverse HUD, mm -hmm. not projecting information onto the windshield, but projecting information below to the dashboards and not, you know, screens, but displays on panels. So any surface is becoming a, for display, those type of things. And then AR and VR, what could be appearing in front of you without the screens? Mm. LiDAR competition, right? Yeah, uh, the China Big Three lidar companies—they're probably going to deliver probably a, a million lidars this year. That's uh, right. It's becoming commoditized and and getting onto even uh, more international brands. You see some announcements. Chip, right? Mm. The chip, the Nvidia's, the Qualcomm's, the Mobileyes, the Intels—a lot of announcements there of the next generation smart EVs from China, adopting their solutions first anywhere else in the world, again. And then the Chinese chip companies starting to appear their computing solutions in some of the lesser-known China EV models. That's Autonomous right. vehicles. I think China is, is way ahead in terms of commercialization of these robo-taxis and robo-buses, driverless, uh, in multiple cities in China, paid. Consumer can pay to be on these, to ride on these vehicles, right? Just... I think China is really pushing talent-wise, tech-wise, what you see at CES. They're already in China. Okay. Right. So that's the kind of the recap. Yeah. Mm. So I think one thing that came out from CES, and I'm also following every announcement there, is why are the Japanese still keeping at the hydrogen fuel yeah. innovation and cars? I think, is it because they're trying yeah. to hedge against the electric car trend? Or is it part of it? Part of it, and I think for the Japanese, also the Koreans, um, I, I even give them a lot of respect because 
CES is not a stage to launch or debut new cars. So what they did was debut, they're thinking of a, let's say, what a hydrogen future would be like. What a, logistically, these type of new Kia Closet platform beyond vehicles, so PBVs, Mm. Uh, is thinking outside of the traditional car industry and the way their booths were set up, the experiential aspect of it. I think the Chinese can learn a lot from that. They're thinking ahead. And I think for the Japanese, it's purely because they've invested many years. Hybridization, right? The Prius from 97. That's right. Hybrid is still strong, very strong in, in, in the Western markets here in the U.S., Hydrogen, right? There's, there. I think there's just sticking to their strategy. That could there be a moment? What happened with the hybrids, the leadership on the hybrids? Could that repeat on the hydrogen side? I think it's something to watch, and we often maybe laugh at it, but you know, I, I think there, there, it's, it's, it's a strategy that others are not going with. So it's differentiate themselves. There's obviously risk involved, but I think there's thinking beyond just EVs, beyond mm. vehicles, private vehicles. I think that's the part of it. That's, you know, CES, right? Thinking far ahead into the, into the future. Mm. So what is the outlook for you thinking about the EV market in over the next five to 10 years in the context of what's happening now with the Chinese EV manufacturers versus the global players? I think there's good, a shift is happening. Sure. But I think it will take some time to play out in that sense. I think at the same time that, so the current price war is going to continue until it drives out some of the weaker brands don't have the financial capabilities to compete. So BYD, they're profitable. They can afford to lose some of the margins in order to push the volumes. Tesla can also do but some of the weaker players that may not be able to sustain. So it's going to drive out some of the players. At the same time, I think what I talked about yesterday on, on a CS recap is we're also seeing that we talk about China's lead in, in terms of these innovations and tech found in the vehicles. It may have reached kind of overkill point. So at a certain point, you put these crazy features into the car, at a certain point it reaches a peak that I think will give an opportunity for the legacies who are a little bit behind now, who may not compete on pricing, who have the capital, who have the strong, let's say a bank, you know, to sustain their development going forward. I think we're going to see this wave of really the, the, the phenomenal growth of Chinese companies. They're still going to grow, but it's going to be a temper a little bit, given the current economy, right? We haven't talked about the Chinese economy, which is part of the reason why we're seeing this huge export numbers in the first place, is to make the factory running, the capacity. So don't, uh, I think I want to stress, don't count out some of the foreign companies yet in China. Mm. At the same time, even the Neos, Xpeng's, Li Auto, uh, they are not out of the woods. They're only 10 years old. Li Auto is profitable, but a bunch of these other new brands, they're not yet, yet profitable. Uh, they still have headwinds ahead of them while they're trying to compete domestically and at the same time trying to establish them, themselves in the global markets. Not going to be easy. But uh, if they survive China, they can go out. They've definitely. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. Well, we put up a question mark. It's ongoing. Okay. I think if we talk about five years out, the consolidation part of it in China has always been a present tense, ongoing. It's never happened. We've heard about consolidation since 2000s, right? We're still seeing new brands being launched. But I think this current price war is really going to drive out some of the weaker brands. And that's start, already started happening. 
would you see these companies going upstream? Like I think in there's another market which is the high end hyper car market, right? The Corner Six, the Horatios, the ultra high net worth. These are mm-hmm. like that kind of car. Do you think there's some of these brands that is going to fall out by the side? They might even go upstream to even a more competitive market that's in well, the high end side. Well, I mean, BYD has the Yamaha, right? It's over a million, maybe one hundred fifty thousand dollars, and then they have a supercar, right? Mm. So yes, you are seeing that, but. The, the Chinese are a little bit more confident now. Being able to launch that kind of the positioning and compete with, let's say, the Ferraris. Mm, yeah. Uh, and at the same time, I, I think the, the the premium, definition of premium and price positioning in China is often, it's not what you would think of, right? In the case of Xiaomi, they're benchmarking against the Porsche Taycan and the Tesla Model S. For a vehicle that's in fact probably going to be below, price below 300,000 RMB, which is the most cutthroat, right, a part of the market. Then what you say, is it just very superficial that for the sake of, you know, I'm trying to benchmark these brands when in fact, price positioning wise, it's just like any other smart EVs on the market. Those are the... Are the, are the There's an extremely good point. So my final closing question, what does success mean for the Chinese EV makers in the long run? I think in the long run, talking about being globalized versus being global is a lot more difficult than than it is because of the current geopolitical environment worldwide. So I think from, I mean, when we talk about BYD, when we talk about NEO, are there, the question is, are there a global brand? Yes, in terms of the markets that they're entering. BYD, 70 countries. How many different markets? I don't know. Yes, but are there a global brand? From a branding perspective, from a, let's say, if you look at those rankings of, of the top brands in the world, how they're localized in different parts of the market, there's always, I think for the Chinese brands, there's always that kind of the, the geopolitical that they are Chinese, that China, the threat of China is always going to hang uh, on, on, on these brands. So I think that's something that they will confront for quite some time to come. And the scrutiny, I think they can be global, but at the same time, they have to confront and, and how to manage the expectations. I think that's hard uh, to do, difficult. Um, mm. So, so mm, that's a good place to stop the current conversation. But of course, I definitely get you back to talk more because this market sure. is continuing to go on. So, sure. Lei, many thanks for coming on the show. So, in closing, I have two quick questions. First, any recommendations sure. that have inspired you recently? I think that the inspirations have really come from my own family members. One is my dad and two is my daughter. So my dad, after China Auto Review, he opened a antique golf museum in the city of Shenzhen at a golf club where the upcoming Volvo China Open is going to oh. be held in Shenzhen. Hmm. So my parents now, they're back in China and enjoying the good life. I don't want to say stuck, but I'm here in, in a very small town in the northeast part of the U.S. looking on from behind the scenes. But I think my dad starting, so he starting trying to review and then doing something else he loves at the age of 80 years old. So when he, his energy and his drive to, to pursue his own dream, uh, I got nothing to complain about. And... And for my daughter, I think her dream is to go to Stanford. He's 12, she's 12. I didn't have any of that dream or thinking about when I went, came to the U.S. because of the, the family, the situation that, you know, just attending school and, and getting an education, that was enough. But having a dream and I think pursuing it at such a young age I didn't have that. So I think for my dad and for my daughter, they are my inspiration, really. Wow, that's a great recommendation. 
So where can my audience find you? Definitely. So China uh, EVs and more podcasts. Uh, yeah, there are, it's on all the po- podcast platforms. I'm on LinkedIn. I post on LinkedIn. I'm on X, Twitter. I have my own WeChat platforms. I write in both Chinese, English. I write on Medium. I used to, I wrote a bunch of, probably over close to 30 articles on a Japanese website called evsmart. evsmart.net. A bunch of articles over the past two years of my own perspectives, attending events of of different topics, battery swapping, stuff like that. They're there. So, you know, through many mediums, I try to get my message across. And definitely can find this show in any, from YouTube to any podcast platform and subscribe to our newsletter. Now we have This Week in Asia. Every week, we are just going to tell you what are the most interesting events that's happening in Asia as such in every region. So, Lee, many thanks for coming on the show and I look forward to speak to you again soon. Same here. That was awesome. Thank you for having me and keep in touch. <laughs>